Hello, everybody. It is great to be here one more time today. And my name is Gary Fowler, and I'm the CEO, President, and Founder of GSD Gets You Done Venture Studios, Premier AI and Quantum Venture Studio, located in the heart of Silicon Valley. I'm a 17-time serial entre entrepreneur with a number of unicorns under the belt. I was on the original management team of Click Software, which was sold to Salesforce for $1.35 and also EVA.AI, an AIHR tech company. We love artificial intelligence because, as you know, we are in a state of infobesity. And with that, I have an incredible guest today. I'd like to introduce Andra. Andra is an executive leader, an entrepreneur, an advisor, a consultant, a board member. She's from Toronto, although right now she's in beautiful Barbados. It's a tough life, yes, but somebody's got to do it. So with that, she's a leadership executive who specializes in authentically building, creating, and driving value for an organization with the ability to take them from seed to sale. A highly adept and versatile forward thinker who takes a holistic and strategic approach, structuring and developing scalable frameworks in emerging industries. And with that, I'd like to bring Andra in board. Hi, Andra. How are you doing today? Hi, Gary. I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So you getting some sun? Uh, yeah, a little bit of sun. I mean, working remotely, you know, we work very hard remotely, but not a bad uh, place to be, Barbados. <laughs> no, that's great. So I got a question for you. So when you, you know, and I've been to Romania several times. So what city were you from in Romania? Well, I grew up in Brasov, but I was born in Transylvania. Ah, okay. So I've been to Transylvania. I've been to Braun, actually. So I actually okay. spoke in Braun. At the at an AI conference in Braun, which Very was quite cool. interesting. I'd never seen uh, such a beautiful, picturesque. Like I, I never forget, I saw a cow walking down the road. I saw a dog behind a cow, a cat behind the dog, and they were going in. I I couldn't figure it out, and they said, "Well, they know it's time to come home." And the cat knows it's going to get milked because the cow gets milked, right? But the the cow knows it's going to be fed, and the dog. The dog comes along to the vet, and there I saw him walking down the road. It was most I, it like a movie, actually. Is, is this right in front of the dark Dracula castle? <laughs> well, the, the fake Dracula castle, you know, the one that people think is a real one, but not as uh, from Vlad the Impaler, right? But it was yeah. so amazing. And when I saw it, it was, you know, it was like it was like a it was like one of those Thomas Kincaid uh, paintings where you talk about light and all that. It was like, this is unbelievable. This is real. And by the way, the freshest food that I've ever eaten in my life. Yes, yes. We have incredible dishes there and we eat all the time. <laughs> if there's a party, we bring it out at midnight. <laughs> yeah, no, the people were really nice. And the storks, I saw the storks uh, nests all over the place. I and the stork, yeah, there's beautiful like uh, storks there. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I, I left Romania when I was about six years old um, during Ceausescu's time. So it was a little bit of a different environment in Brasov at that time uh, under communist rule. But uh, nonetheless, I've been back a number of times. And it's just it's a beautiful, beautiful landscape. Great people, hardworking um, and just joyful, you know, <laughs> so good time. really joyful and fun. So I got a question for you. So, you know, you've done a lot. You know, you immigrated to Canada. You went to school in, at uh, the London School of Economics and Political Science. So how was it, you know, coming over? So you come from Romania over. Did you, did it take long to assimilate? It's six years old. It doesn't take long at all, right? You instantly become part of the society. 
Yeah, six years old, you're just a little sponge. So I, um, yeah, I only knew Romanian when I came to Canada. So my parents, uh, you know, courageously put me in a French immersion. So I learned English and French at the same time. I adapted very quickly. Uh, my brother was put in the same. He was like, no, thank you to French. I'll stick to English. Um, and then, yeah, I just, you know, I immersed uh, in the culture quickly. I mean, you're so young. Um, I lived in Toronto initially. We unfortunately all had to start over um, at, like I said, when we left from Maine, everyone was trying to sort of flee the country. So coming to Canada, uh, my parents needed different practices because my dad was a pilot in Romania and, you know, he had to redo it in Canada. We didn't have the funds. Um, and so we kind of grew up in uh, government housing and we went to public schools and it was very cool. And my parents did the best they could and learned French, did my thing and moved on. So and then sort of just kept the education flowing. So when you went down through it, so you came over, you know, you immigrated over. How was it? So did you grow up speaking Romanian? I did. My parents were very tricky. It was actually my stepfather and my mom that um, raised me in Canada. And my parents had divorced when I was younger in Romania. Uh, and they refused to speak to me in English. So <laughs> they would pretend like they couldn't hear me when I would speak English just so that I would maintain my French or my uh, Romanian, sorry. Um, so, you know, it was an interesting tactic that was super frustrating at the time. I'd want to go to the movies. I'd want to do something. And I'd be like, well, we don't understand. Speak in Romanian. Uh, but I didn't have much family in Canada. So it would have been very hard to keep that maternal tongue going. So, yeah, I speak, read and write fluently because they were just, you know, practicing their uh, Romanian tactics with me. And, and somehow it works. I'm grateful now. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So yeah. when, you know, when you do that, uh, so what, when did you uh, immigrate to Canada? When I was six. How long? When, when, I'm, 30, when did, I'm 38 now. So that was about, yeah, in 89. Wow. Because I remember eight, I was over in Russia in 91 when the wall came down. And yeah. uh, October 1991, I remember that. I remember going over to uh, Germany right after the wall fell down. Wow. And, uh, so I was right there. I saw the, I uh, went through the Brandenburg Gate, saw the wall, yeah. went over to Bad Cerro, and you could see the X. I remember going through that part of uh, Germany and seeing the old V2 rocket stands from wow. World War II, right? It was crazy, this stuff. It was amazing. Oh, so much history. Oh, my gosh. And even Ceausescu from his time. I mean, there's still roads built in uh, Bucharest from him. You know, it was, a, it was an interesting time, but, you know. So you come over, you do this, you go to London School of Economics. Then you go to, you went to York University. Why, how did you, so you did the London school for one year. Was it, it was a uh, program while you were at York? Yeah, it was a little less than a year, actually. Um, I studied uh, double honors in English and French. Uh, my mom was a teacher, so I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, so I did that at York University in Toronto. Uh, and then I got a scholarship to London School of Economics to practice, in, uh, to study international law. Um, it was an interesting program they offered. You didn't have to be a lawyer. You didn't have to be an articling student. You could be of any age from anywhere around the world. And I was lucky enough to get a scholarship. So I went and did it. And that sort of prompted my interest in law. Finished up at York and ended up going to Australia at uh, Bond Faculty of Law to do law school because, you know, I'm I'm all about a good experience. Bond is an exceptional school that has great affiliations with Canada. But more importantly, I'm like, if I'm going to suffer through law school, it's going to be in a great environment. <laughs> well, how was it? So what city is Bond in? Uh, Bond's in Queensland. So it's in the Gold Coast. 
Um, it's it's beautiful. It's it would be the equivalent of Miami, maybe I would say. It's, there's a place called Surfers Paradise nearby, um, and there's a place called Byron Bay that was extremely magical, about 45 minutes out, uh, sort of a sanctuary. Uh, Chris Hem Hemsworth lives there, so <laughs> so my, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now he does. Now he does. At the time he didn't, but now he does. Yeah. Um, well, but, uh, did you, you know, so that area has got a lot of crocodiles, right? I mean, it's uh, got a lot of wildlife in that I, part. Yeah, you know, everyone says that, but they're like, be careful. There's the tiniest thing floating in the ocean and it'll get you and paralyze you. It wasn't that bad. It was the cockroaches and the lizards that got me. Really? Kangaroos are not like, you know, running around. Koalas aren't grabbing at you. It's fine. They're all in the zoo. Um, nope, it was beautiful. But it is one of those places where um, the sort of the community centers around the school. So there were tons of Bond events. And Bond is a beautiful, beautiful, stunning school. So uh, now more than ever, more Canadians are going there. I encourage lawyers, future lawyers to attend. <laughs> when you were at the school, so what culturally was different from Canada to Australia when you came over there? Besides, uh, you know, they speak a little bit differently, but what did you like? Yeah. What was it like? Well, what I envied is that their school was being paid for. <laughs> <laughs> and I was being extorted as an international student, so that I that I was not impressed with. Um, but I did love the fact that um, I, I think they could go directly into law school right after high school, which we couldn't do in Canada at the time. I'm not sure what it is now. So I had to do my BA and all that stuff. So they were very young, very aware, very on it. Brilliant, brilliant um, students. Um, but I love the way they did their courses and their classes at Bond. I'm a performer. Give me multiple choice. And oh, my God, I will make any answer work just because that's how my brain works. Right. Um, it, it's not architectural. It's not mathematical. Um, so I chose my exams. Most of them like 80 percent performative. Perfect. Right here. Um, so they had that option. I loved it because you could, sort really? of so you, could, you, could you could take the tests the way you'd like to take them. Well, you know, it would say like for criminal law, you know, run your own trial and you are this. So I would take that versus others. You know, they want the exam textbook. They don't want to perform. They're like, no, thank you. Keep me in the shadows. I want to do the work. Um, so they just they allowed you the opportunity to create scenarios where you're interviewing people or running a trial or in negotiations. And I love that because that's life, you know, and, and that's essentially what I excel at now. Well, that's great. So you did that. So you spent uh, a few years over there and. Yeah. And you came back over. So you were there from 2009 to 2011, right? Mm -hmm. So you came back over. You got a job with TX Venture Exchange. What was that all about? So you were uh, a yeah, one. well, it was a t so so I accelerated through law school because Bond also offers a two year program instead of a three year, meaning you have no summer breaks. It's like just do it, hammer it out, write your exams, take a break for them to review and come back at it. So I love that I did that. Um, when I came back, uh, obviously I did my articling. Um, I actually practiced at a litigation firm for a little bit while I was doing that because I had sort of been self sufficient since. 17 years old. Um, I've been juggling a number of jobs. I worked everywhere and did anything so I could put myself through school um, and, you know, buy a place and, and do all that jazz. So I part of it was modeling. So I got a gig with the Toronto Stock Exchange to be able to do a TV show uh, that that was about capital markets. So I would have guests from the mining industry, the biotech science industry, whatever it was. And I would be sort of that that host that, hey, you know, if you're a first time investor, nominal portfolio investor, let, 
let me bridge the gap and let me speak to you in, in plain terms on, on why this company is good. And we'd have, so say it's mining, you'd have three companies at certain stages uh, in their exploration or operations or whatever. And then the big guru company that comes down, the analyst and says, hey, you know, they're good here for this. This might be a problem here. And it just helps people bridge that gap when they invest. Sometimes it's a little convoluted and complicated for people. So that was a cool show. Um, and but by virtue of being in that show, I met my my network increased. And so uh, when those CEOs would come back to town, they'd invite me to the dinners. I'd show up later, realizing they're closing dinners. So at those dinners sat all the brokers, top investment bankers. And uh, when I became a securities lawyer, it was that much easier to do those deals. That's great. So you went to Castles, Brock and Blackwell, correct? Yes. Yeah. Securities division. So you went to the securities vision. And then what is this Origin House? What is that? Is that formerly Canna Royalty? What is that? Yeah, so Origin House, so back when cannabis was popping up <laughs> and before uh, the regulatory framework changed in Canada, um, my my group, my division at Castles Brock, we were taking on a lot of cannabis files. And Canna Royalty was a group that we took public um, by way of RTO. So we took them public. And after that, um, the executives had asked if myself and a colleague of mine from the firm would join them in-house. I became their legal counsel and international business developer. And my colleague became their GC. Um, so essentially what it was, it was a company that was ahead of its time. And it um, aggregated a ton of different assets for its portfolio and all cannabis focus, whether that was IP, technology, um, grow LPs, whatever it was, right? Uh, but in by doing that, I got to sort of travel the whole world <laughs> looking for these asses, diligencing them. I maybe smoked a joint by that point. I don't know. I knew nothing. I didn't realize how much I needed to know about the cannabis space <laughs> until I took that role on. I was like, whoa. <laughs> really? Wow. Was, the, was that exciting? It was it was an incredible experience. I remember I, I went back to Romania to um, visit my family and my, my CEO was like, we need to launch this press release. And I think I was hiking. I'm like looking for reception. Like, try, you know, you're, you're young, you're a junior lawyer. It was it was thrilling. The firm was exceptional, but I always knew I had a bit of a entrepreneurial spirit and, and I needed to be outside of a firm to to work my magic. So how was that? So, you know, when you're going down through that, and you're going down through the companies, you know, you've got the one spirit, this kind of wild spirit and, and doing yeah. the kind of things. But, you know, it's a lot of corporations like you to be feel the fit the mold. Right. And yeah. so how is it? To, how do you juggle that between, you know, enjoying your life and and being part of this political corporate citizen? That they yeah. Want? You know, I, I think um, the I'm lucky because very early on in my life, um, especially after my mom had passed, actually, when I was 15, um, I started thinking, hey, you know, it's time to really like maximize your opportunity in this world and and do as much as you can. And I am a multitasker. So forever onwards, I was juggling between jobs and schools. So really, it was just supplementing one for the other. And I'm able to be very flexible and adaptable to my environments. Um, I get along with a lot of people. Being social is my innate talent. Connecting, the art of connecting, that's what I do best. And I really, truly enjoy it. I think every uh, experience is sort of a privilege to be a part of. Uh, and I take from it what I can and I make the most of it. And I like connecting people with others. And, and that's sort of the way I go about life. It's not always purposeful in a sense of, oh, this is a career move. I go where my heart is and where I'm interested. And I think maybe my morals and values guide me to an extent as well. Uh, <laughs> they determine my boundaries, what I'll be a part of and what I won't be anymore. 
Mm-hmm. No, that's great. And you know, you you said at 15, your mom passed. And I know mm-hmm. when my mom passed, you start to understand what the value of life is in time. Yeah, right? exactly. How important is it? You know, you yeah. only have so much time to do things and that some people sit on their hands, but the key is to be able to move as fast as you can and enjoy it. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the other things I would add is that, and I'm sure you know, I mean, you have a depth of experience, but for me, my hardest times when I'm just like crying on the floor being like, this is the end of Andra, that's where you find your strengths, you know, and and that's the joy of life. If if the, The great scenarios is pat on the back. That's fantastic. I love to have it, but it's the bad ones that I remember, and it's the bad ones I'm grateful for because it's the ones that built me as a person and my character, and it's really the ones that humbled me the most, so... Uh, whenever I mentor people or speak to anyone younger than me, I try to say, hey, you know what? It's never as bad as you think. Don't look here. Look past there. And it'll all be OK. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like you got through it. I mean, it's, you've been through a lot of stuff. That's for sure. You yeah. know, yeah. And you, you're right about it. Sometimes, you know, you can you can uh, I remember I had dinner with Andrew Straginski, who's a right hand man of Rupert Murdoch. And I never forget the conversation. Carl Page, Larry Page, the founder of Google's brother was across from him across from us, an actor from a mine from Hollywood was there. And I asked him, he said, I've studied 3,000 of the top entrepreneurs in the world. Because we got on this thing about Rupert Murdoch, right? Because Rupert was married to this Chinese woman and then Jerry Hall and all this stuff. And and I said, you know, like, he's a guy that's really successful. Doesn't like that get him down, you know, getting divorced and all that. He said, I've studied 3,000 of the top entrepreneurs. And there's one common trait that I found. And I said, what is that? He said, amnesia. He said, they never focus on the past. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a great, yeah. That's there's a lot of truth to that. You can get stuck. You can paralyze yourself, I would say, um, if you say to focus on the past, you know? Yeah, you paralyze yourself. And he said, you know, you got to move forward. And, and every one of my ultra wealthy friends that I know have never actually uh, talked about the past, like only in context. Mm. They don't them. You know, mm-hmm. they look they're looking, they're looking for today and they're looking for tomorrow. But of course, tomorrow never comes, right? <laughs> so you went to, uh, what was Blackshire Capital all about? Uh, Blackshire Capital was a private equity firm that I worked with. Um, they were actually one of our investors in Canada Royalty. That came <laughs> um, and by the way, Canada Royalty ended up changing its name to Origin House, becoming a brands, uh, cannabis brands company, and I believe got acquired for a billion by Cresco Labs. So that went on and on and on past my time. Uh, but Blackshire was a shareholder, worked with them for a while. Um, also, they were doing a lot of investments in the cannabis space. And yeah, I think after Blackshire, that's that might have been when I formed Champagne Capital. It's just really a corporation where I would then assume consulting gigs. So take on executive in-house roles with companies to help structure them and grow them because of the array of things I've been involved with, whether it was working bottle service at a nightclub, whether it was, you know, uh, I started a tutoring business when I was working bottle service. at a nightclub. I I am not ashamed to say it. Yeah. I was like, the nicest bottle service girl. (laughs) Your job to go out and sell the bottles. (laughs) 
Is that one it? Yeah, sell drinks, shots. You, you manage tables, I would say. Yeah. What's funny is though, because I my daytime job was in law, you know, I'd be in mediations or something, and then uh, especially because I was at the litigation firm, I'd see some of them at the nightclub, and I don't know you. I'm like, nope, nope. <laughs> No, you don't. Um, really? uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Gary, you gotta do, you gotta hustle. The hustle is real. Were you selling shots then? Is that what it was? Were you no, you, you manage tables. You're like a, a waitress at a nightclub, right? So they order bottles, whatever it is. Never, come on, you've never heard of bottle service, girl. You know, never. Actually, never. I have never. Well, heard you're of never going to a nightclub. <laughs> I, I go to nightclubs, but the clubs that I go to, I didn't. I've never heard the term. I've been into clubs where they. We it's like a waitress, dedicated for that stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting. Well, that's a good job. That's a good, good job. It's very lucrative. Actually. It's very lucrative. But I am one of the things I did early on was start a tutoring business because I always I love mentoring. I love working with kids. Um, I'm currently chair of Recess Guardians, um, a charity that that helps foster sort of like. In, uh, well, integrity and kids, discipline, inclusivity and all that stuff. So tutoring, tutoring was my jam and cash, <laughs> you know, and I kept it going in Australia and I would tutor ESL, um, English as a second language. And uh, yeah, tutoring was my bread and butter for a while. Um, nightclubs are easy because it's fun. Awesome. That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. I've done a lot of things. <laughs> Andra, how does that affect your life now? Have you changed as the hustling part? How does that, you're 38 years old, right? I will be in May, yes. May, you said you said 38. So if you look at it, but how is it, how does that impact your life? Because, you know, you've worked really hard doing a lot of things. How yeah. is it now? Like, I, I'm just curious, do you like reflect on where you are now and where you're going to go? Is it, do you always hustle or how does it impact life? I mean, I think at the time it was just constant hustle. Law school was very expensive. I think it was nearly 200K, right? So you're just going until you pay that off and, and you come back poorer than when you left. Um, but, you know, over time, I think the hustle is a, it's a discipline. I, but I was always involved in sports. I trained at a Japanese dojo for judo since I was five years old or six years old. So, um, you know, I was always a highly disciplined individual and very independent. Um, so I think the hustle has transitioned it's no longer to survive uh but it's real you know every time i'm out i'm looking at different connections i mean i could be ceo of faster today which i am um but while i'm having a conversation i'm thinking of something good for my charity and you know my mind's sort of everywhere and um the hustle has just changed you know but i'm alert i'm always looking for opportunities and interesting experiences. how long did you study judo Oh my gosh, uh, till, right when I came to Canada until I was about 14 and a half and I was being trained for Junior Olympics. I think at age 10, I beat out everyone in Canada or North America from a girl division for my weight class. So, And what, what made you, because I was also in it in judo. And oh, were in you? The, <laughs> and all this stuff. But what happened, uh, so as you went down through that process, so you were top, if you were top in North America, did you go to junior Olympics or did you want to go to Olympics or no? Yeah, no, unfortunately. Well, first of all, it was, it was not by choice. My stepdad put me into it. He was big in karate at the time and he did a lot of karate in, in Romania. So he was like, my kids are going into martial arts. Perfect. You know, Japanese dojo, the right choice. Um, but actually my mom had passed at 15. So I had to pick up my stuff and move with my father 
Um, I'd been living in Vancouver at the time, so I just moved to Toronto where he lived and sort of start a new life that didn't involve sort of anything of my past life. So that was a bit of a shift. Um, and that's when I sort of rebuilt my future and went down a different path. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. That's, I appreciate you sharing that. So tell us about Faster. So good news today. You've got a big announcement that you're now the CEO of Faster. So tell us about Faster. Yeah, thank you. I feel very privileged to be a part of this company. Um, Keith McKenzie is the founder of it, and I was asked to be a part of it. It's uh, in the payment processing space. Um, it, it's an exciting world for me, um, partly because I, I'm, I'm learning it. I'm familiar enough, but it's just a, an active fintech spot that I've always wanted to be a part of. Um, we provide just quicker, easier solutions for small to medium businesses. That's all it is. So competitors would be like Banaras, Chase, all, all those groups. Um, after COVID, I, I've noticed even in Toronto, there's so many small businesses. If they survive, they're barely by a whim, you know, and it's challenging for them to drive revenue, scale, operate even just to stay open. So um, Faster provides terminals as well as partnering with MasterCard. We provide Interact and credit card services um, to these merchants. Essentially, we're competitive from a cost perspective for the machine, but also we don't do credit checks, anything like that. We have an internal adjudication system, so it's easier um, for merchants to get accepted, approved, and start their business. Uh, we provide a cloud-based account, and yeah, it's just overall a, a sweep of tools that they can use to make their business lighter and easier. And we also settle, uh, we do daily settlements, so even on weekends and holidays. I remember, I remember the pain of being like, oh no, it's a holiday, I need to get paid before. I don't want to wait the five days or whatever it is for the long weekend. Um, so, so we settle uh, despite holidays or weekends or anything like that. So, yeah. And how long were you working with Faster before you became the CEO? You know what? Um, I The announcement came out today, but it's actually been the last two months that I met the founder. Uh, we were introduced by a mutual contact in my network, a, an investor and, and colleague of mine. And, you know, I got good reviews and, and we started. I liked what he was doing um, and we are in the process of taking it public. So my background comes in handy. We're going to be doing an RTO and we're looking to list uh, on the Canadian Securities Exchange within the next month. So things are busy on my end. It's a That's great. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's really great. So, you know, we're coming up to the top of the show, yeah. but what's summary and uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of Yandra? Oh, well, okay. Uh, we are under development on our website. A couple of weeks faster will be up and running properly, but I would say just LinkedIn. Uh, I think my link is here somewhere. I provided it to your chief of staff. Uh, email me, call me. Super it's just, easy. Uh, it's just so Andrea Anestu, so you see her name, E-N-E-S-C-U, so reach out. And um, what what are you looking for? What what are you looking for right now? What am I looking for? Uh, you know what? Connecting with good humans. <laughs> really. Good humans. I'm going to need some good human connections. So. Investors in my new business. <laughs> in your business. So you have. Yeah. We have a wide audience from all over the world, so yeah. be careful yeah. what you ask for. You know what? I'm always looking for, for good people because I'm always looking for partnerships. I'm always looking to support others uh, and myself and the ventures I'm a part of. So, um, again, yeah, just good people, people to learn from and, and continue on this journey with, I guess. No, that's great. Great. All right. Well, Andra, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. And I want to thank to all my audience for joining one more time. GSD presents Silicon Valley AI and Tech. And my name is Gary Fowler, and I'm your host. 
Stay happy, stay safe, and stay healthy. I will be back again next Tuesday with another exciting edition. Thank you, Andra. And also, I have my book coming out next week, Artificial Imagination. So check Amazon. It's talking about generative AI and the impact on our lives. Take care of yourself. See you later, everybody. Thanks, Andra. It's great to see you. Thanks, nice everybody. to see you again. Bye. Yep. Bye-bye. <laughs>